Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. This is our first official episode of a new show called Conscious Conversations, where Mitch Harbaugh and I cover everything related to the mind and mental health. In this intro episode, we cover mindfulness and meditation. Mitch tells his story of how his meditation journey began. We define and compare meditation and mindfulness. We talk about why meditation is such a powerful tool, and we finish with some practical tips on how to start building your own mindfulness and meditation practice. Really enjoyed the conversation with Mitch and hope you find it useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. Our team discovered the powerful mental and physical benefits of playing on a balance beam several years ago. And since then, I've worked hard to manufacture high quality beams in Canada, uh, along with creating a system that helps people understand how to train and progressively improve your ability to balance and integrate your feet with your hips. Our product design philosophy is less but better. And we keep the design simple so that you can creatively express complex movements while having fun and training your ability to focus. If you check out tfc-shop.com, you'll be able to check out our growing selection of balance beams. And for a detailed system on how to progress from beginner to advanced tasks on a beam, you can check out beamtribe.com and join the community to have full access to all of our advanced software. This episode of the show is also brought to you by TFC app. In 2019, we realized that the availability of information when it came to health was a bit overwhelming on the internet and that a platform like YouTube or Instagram, those tend to be really loaded with distractions that kind of take you away from the goal of having time well spent learning and improving your awareness when it comes to health. TFC app was about creating a tool that facilitates that time well spent. We don't try to steal your attention. We try and make sure that the time you spend browsing the curated health content we offer is time spent improving your health awareness. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story of the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out the roasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you get seven bucks off your first month. I forgot to mention it, but if you are interested in TFC app, if you go to the footcollective.app, which is a website, you'd be able to access the iOS and the web versions uh, that are available right now. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick and Mitch here for our first official episode of Conscious Conversations. And the agenda today is to unpack mindfulness and meditation uh, and to sort of share some stories related to our personal experience in those realms. Um, so I spoke with Mitch on a first episode of Nerd Talk where he kind of introduced himself, but for those of you who haven't listened to that and don't know Mitch, Mitch uh, is a foot nerd from Tampa, Florida. He's been creating some awesome content for the foot nerd program and for TFC app as it relates to the mind pillar. He's also a Beam Tribe content contributor and his understanding and sort of, um, ability to convey information about the mind and mindfulness and everything related to that is pretty deep. So uh, it's a treat to have him on. Mitch, thanks for taking the time and welcome to the show. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. No problemo, man. Um, so pretty stoked for this conversation today from, you know, the perspective of both personal interest and also because of the relevance of mental health in today's cultural uh, climate. I think that you know, like I was saying before we went on air, like we talk a lot about mental health, but we don't actually, there's often not this, um, in the common culture, we don't give pragmatic tips and we don't actually like unpack and talk about struggles and, and talk about like ways to sort of trickle in mindfulness and meditation in a very un, uh, unintimidating way. So hopefully we can um, do a bit of that today. And 
um, you know, the, the sort of um, outline that you sent over was great. And you started with basically uh, a definition of mindfulness. And I think it might be helpful to delineate between mindfulness and meditation, how they're different, how they're the same. So maybe let's start with that. And, um, you know, I think we'll probably, it'd be good for us each, like you said, each give our definition of mindfulness, although there's mm -hmm. probably going to be a lot of repeating uh, going on. I think <laughs> we have similar uh, resources and people that we look to uh, for information, but I'll let you start. And then, uh, yeah, so maybe define, define mindfulness um, and maybe define meditation. And then I'll do the same. And then we can just riff a little bit on how they're different, uh, how we perceive them to be different. Yeah. So for mindfulness, my favorite definition comes from John Kabat-Zinn, who's the creator of the like mindfulness stress reduction techniques. Mm -hmm. And his definition is the awareness that arises when you're paying attention on purpose to the present moment and non-judgmentally. So nice. that's probably my favorite definition. And I know we'll get kind of get into the specifics on that. And then where meditation comes into play is that is one of the tools that you can use to cultivate, to stabilize and then sustain that awareness that can come about in those moments when you're trying to be mindful. And so that's how they kind of like mix together. Cool. Yeah. I really like that. And it's funny because I had John Kabat-Zinn's definition written as well, because it's so, it's very uh, concise, right? There's no fat on that, but it also covers all the important parts. And, you know, it's, it's hard to separate mindfulness and meditation because they are very intertwined, but I also think that using them, uh, as a one-to-one -one interchangeable um, pair of terms, I don't know if it gives, like, I think there's some confusion out there because when I have this conversation with people, they're like, what's the difference? Are they different? Are they the same? And they're almost like two different blocks that you can take apart and you can define them separately, but they also enmesh together perfectly. So they, you know, yeah. they can encompass each other almost. Um, and for me, mindfulness is just, is sort of like a I mean, at a basic level, the way I separate the two is mindfulness is a mindset um, that can be applied to any situation in your life and just sort of like an awareness that percolates throughout all your experiences. And then meditation is more of a practice, like an activity. So mindset yeah. versus practice, I think that's, and the funny thing is, is the practice of meditation can be, um, you know, is accelerated by a sense of mindfulness by that mindfulness mindset and you can actually do specific practices of meditation that are geared towards mindfulness so they're it's um, <laughs> yeah it's hard to, it's hard to separate them but I think you know mindfulness you know being aware I like you know we've all heard the term paying attention right mm -hmm. and it's funny because built into that term is the assumption that attention is almost like a currency right you're paying with your attention and we're I, I was so used to saying pay attention um, but I never really thought of it like that. And, and it's funny because now we actually have an attention economy where our attention is the currency that's generating huge amounts of money for all these companies. Um, but it's also being gamified so that they really want to entice us to spend our attention on things um, that they're putting out and, you know, paying attention to, you know, your thoughts, your behaviors, um, basically just being fully engaged with life. And I think it's really easy to go on autopilot. Um, and so for me, mindfulness is just, yeah, paying attention. Yeah. And I agree. It's, it's definitely one of those things now where that attention based culture, like that's what makes those companies money is having your attention over someone else's. Um, and I forget the guy for, uh, that used to work in Silicon Valley, but he was essentially talking about how your phone is like a slot machine. Right. And it's yeah. like constantly there to take your attention, to grab it, to have different ways to manipulate you and persuade you. And I think that 
mindfulness is that recognition and tool to say, yes, as humans, we're easily persuaded, especially because we won't realize we're being persuaded. But when you use mindfulness and you're able to really understand it and kind of, I, I like to view it as, you know, maybe something that's not initially, it doesn't have to be as spiritual as some people can develop it to be. Mm-hmm. But at a base level tool, it's a way to pay yourself with your attention versus paying others or Ooh, a company, I like that. corporation with your attention. Yeah, I think you're. Uh, I think you're probably talking about Tristan Harris. I like yeah. just I dug deep into everything he had out there, and it just blew my mind how knowledgeable and how. Because um, I think there's, you know, quick segue. There's people who know a lot about things, and yeah. there's people who can communicate things well. There's very few people who know a lot about things and can communicate them well, right? Like Neil deGrasse Tyson is a great communicator, but he also knows a lot of shit. Um, and you know, there's a lot of physicists that are geniuses, but like can't even hold a normal conversation. Right. So I think Tristan was like someone who knows a lot about the entire macro architecture of the attention economy, but also is a very gifted communicator. Um, and, uh, and it does a really good job at captivating attention, right? He comes, his background is literally as a magician. So he understands, he sees the magic that companies are leveraging, but also knows how to deal with other humans and convey that magic. So I think it's really a really cool combo. Um, I heard a, a, an analogy or I read about an analogy this morning um, that I kind of liked and I find that sometimes analogies can be inroads to get people to kind of see things through a different light. And basically it said that if you compare mindfulness and meditation um, to, their, to the physical world, you know, mindfulness would be like strength, whereas meditation would be something like running or a specific activity. So, you know, strength applies to many things beyond running but it's a really important element for the activity of running. And I find that that's, you know, mindfulness applies to a lot of things, but it's also a really important element when it comes to meditation. Um, So I found that was like kind of a good analogy uh, to draw. Yeah, I like that. And it's, it just shows how mindfulness really can apply in a bunch of different ways, right? Like it's not, it's not something, it can be something where, okay, I want to sit down for 10 minutes, five minutes or longer and then do my meditation practice and be mindful while I'm doing it. But you can be mindful anytime you want throughout the day and it can apply to any different piece the same way that you can be aware and moving anytime throughout the day. I think another cool way to look at it would be kind of like how we've talked about, hey, there's exercise, which is this tiny little spot and then movement's this big piece. Well, meditation is this tiny little spot, but then mindfulness is this really big piece. That's kind of like there's that transfer over between the two. Yeah, I love that. That's an even better analogy, actually, because it's already probably familiar for some people in our community. And I think, you know, like mindfulness, I think people look at it as something abstract, but like, you know, a tangible example yesterday of of when I tried to sort of be more mindful of what what my urges were, what my behaviors were, was like, I was in the grocery store, there's a big lineup. And I I, I sort of, in my brain, flew through this urge to be like, pick up your phone and, and just see what, see if see what's there. Right. And it takes a bit of mindfulness to be like, I don't need to pick up my phone right now. There's absolutely no yeah. reason why I would need to pick up my phone. Why don't I just take a breath and observe and look around. And so like, that's just like a little tiny snippet of mindfulness and you piece those together. You know, initially they're hard to do, right? If you're only, you only know what you, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't even, if you're not even aware that picking up your phone on autopilot is even a habit you're doing because you're just in it. Um, then there's really, it's really hard to be mindful and to like kind of observe that urge and then maybe act differently. 
Um, so I think it's like just about putting it on people's radar so that they can even have, have it to think about, right? To know that those behaviors are happening versus just being essentially inside those behaviors without any realization of why or how they're doing it. Yeah, and to touch on that where you're like, it's that moment where I am going to grab my phone, I, I realize it, and then I kind of stop. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'll take a breath. I'll look around. Mindfulness can be simply like, it's just that brief pause. Right. Where you're just like, why am I doing this thing? Or what does this feel <laughs> like to be doing this thing, right? So it's that that pause provides that brief moment between the stimulus and response for you to actually like make a change to what you're doing or like understand why you're doing something. Right. And even initially, maybe it's just literally thinking, maybe you still pull out the phone and look at it, but maybe yeah. just thinking of, wow, that ran, you know, like just observing that that was even a thing objectively, um, almost like from a third person view, that in and of itself can be the first step to like, uh, you know, potentially examining that behavior deeper. But maybe it's just like that half second pause where it's like, maybe I'll just take a breath before I take my phone out instead of just doing it right away. That's something to start with as well. Um, so maybe let's dig into, I'd love to hear, well, out of personal curiosity, what, what even, uh, you know, did mindfulness and meditation come on your radar at the same time? Did one come before the other? And like, how was your, we talked a bit about your history of starting meditation and sort of a mindfulness practice, but like, do you remember what your, uh, what the very initial on-ramp was like and sort of how you started to develop your practice? Yeah. So the initial on-ramp, happened back when I was in um, college and I I definitely did not recognize the difference between mindfulness and meditation. I thought they were just very interchangeable, essentially the same thing. And Sam Harris was the first person that I had really used to on ramp me into the mindfulness practice when I, when I read his book, waking up. So I was interested in psychedelics. I was interested in how he was talking about the brain and he took such a like pragmatic and different view from what I'd heard especially because in the past, anytime I'd heard mindfulness, it would be someone that, you know, is kind of seemed like out there and was like extremely spiritual, which, which like I wasn't. And so hearing someone that's like a neuroscientist and gives a lot of different lectures and talks and is extremely smart and speaks really well uh, to hear him talk about mindfulness, how it's changed his life, but then also to dive into things like, well, we're going to talk about the soul and this is how you can view that if you were to do like a separation of the hemispheres of the brain, like, and him like diving into all those like little different nuanced pieces, I was just like, Oh my God. So he's the one that kind of started me off on all of that. Later on, he had the waking up app come out and I started to go through that. And then only after getting into his app more and being really consistent with it, was I able to get into things like Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock and all these other different meditators where it was the first time I'd seen people that hold high levels of education, whether it's like PhDs in psychology or neuroscience or mm-hmm. just any type of like studying the brain or the human body or, or how humans interact. It was the first time I'd ever seen groups of those people, but also they have like a huge foundation in mindfulness and they talk about all these different experiences that they have. And I was like, okay, this is definitely something that I should learn about more. And then only then after I started to get into Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock, Uh, and some of the other different practitioners, did I really start to understand the potential of mindfulness and meditation, the slight nuanced differences between the two, 
And then also that there are a bunch of different ways to practice. Like I first thought, okay, I have to sit down, close my eyes, focus on my breathing. Wow, this feels really boring, right? Not have any thoughts. That was my biggest (laughs) mess up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, don't think, oh man, I screwed up. I thought it sucks. So once I was able to learn from them, then it was like, oh, you can do glimpse practices throughout your day. If you like, you've had a successful day, if just for one moment in your day, you could stop and just be aware of what was happening and then just continue on throughout your day. Learning different things like that, learning different types of like, okay, you can build circles of compassion and so on, all these different practices that's what really like opened up my mind and really changed how I view adopting a, a meditation practice and a mindful lifestyle. Ooh, I love how you said that meditation practice and mindful lifestyle. Cause yeah, I mean the, the exact same thing for me where uh, Sam was really the first one to, you know, I come from a biology background and until then the people I spoke to that brought up meditation were, were like, yogis and people who Mm -hmm. I didn't actually feel a strong sense of identity connection with, right? Like they were these people that were like, yeah, man, like I love meditation. And like, I was like, all right, that's not me. I I don't know if I could do that. And then uh, a buddy of mine who is a, who is a general contractor and just does like really, he lives a very intense lifestyle, takes on big projects, like bigger projects than he's ever done. And then just makes it happen somehow. And he was like, yeah, I've been trying to meditate, you know, every day and it's been a struggle. And I was like, what, you meditate? What? I relate to you. Maybe I should meditate. And then, and then it was more like, okay, well, I think same thing. Meditation is sitting down, no thoughts, eyes closed for like 10, 20 minutes. And I was like, wow, I really suck at this. I'm really terrible at this. And like, it was a struggle. And then when you start to hear people that are talking about it from a really science-based perspective, right? Like I come from a biology background. If I could, if you can give me the information and the nuts and bolts and mechanisms in terms of neuroanatomy and brain chemistry and psychology, then I'm like, okay, there's, I can, I can relate to this now, right? I can understand it enough that I feel a sense of purpose that this is probably something I should be doing or should be working towards developing. Um, and that waking up app is just like a gold mine of conversations. Yeah. And that was really the only, I really think that the only reason I've been able to establish a daily meditation, like central practice is because of the waking up app and trying to like sequence together, like, 40 days of meditating starting with like five minutes of like super easy guided meditations all the way up to longer ones. And, uh, yeah, I really think, you know, shout out to Sam Harris cause that dude is just doing a lot of good stuff to put this on the radar of common culture yeah. because right now I, you know, it seems like it's a big lack still. If I, I love doing surveys with my family at family dinners and like, you know, whether it's about current events or just about like who here meditates and it's still not, you know, I consider them fairly healthy, but it's still not, doesn't seem to be percolating as something worthwhile for people to do every day, not just like yeah, whenever they can, um, which is like, you know, maybe like once a month, um, but like a, a, a daily self-care practice that is literally non-negotiable. It's like, I do this because it, it is so important to my health, to me being a good person, to other people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for when we get there. And I think we live in a different world if the majority of people get there. So uh, hopefully these podcasts help. Yeah, Um, I agree. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, like, what are your, I'd love to hear about just what your practices, like, um, you know, your daily practices, and you've talked a little bit about it, but um, maybe just give a brief of like how your practice looks like. And then, um, and then we'll keep going through your outline because I think it was great. But yeah, what are, what are, what is your mindfulness practice? Um, and you know, how long has it been consistent for? Yeah. So 
As far as consistency goes, I started it mostly uh, back in college in 2013, 2014. That's wow. when I started to get consistent with it on a, I might not have been doing a formal central practice, which that's one of the things that I do consistently now, um, which is where, hey, I'm sitting, I'm on a meditation pillow, I'm cross-legged, I'm trying to be in a good posture, and I'm doing just a foundational, I'm paying attention to my breath, I'm paying attention to the flow of experience in the moment. I do that now consistently, and it might only be five minutes on days where I kind of have to get up and get my day started, uh, up to 30 minutes on days where I have a little bit more of a flexible schedule in the morning. But so I do that uh, each day in the morning, but the first thing I do when I wake up is I will make coffee, go outside uh, with my dogs, and then that'll be the first moment for me to practice mindfulness, which is barefoot, in the grass, outside, uh, kind of like in, I, I live on a spot that has a little bit larger yard with a lot of trees. So it's almost like I, I get to have my, my time out in nature a little bit in the morning, Amazing. just me and my two dogs. And I get to spend that time relaxing, just paying attention, fully focused on them, fully focused on the environment, and then fully focused on what I'm feeling. Then when I come back in, I'll go and I'll do my formal meditation practice. Uh, and then how I try and implement it into my lifestyle is I'll do Glimpse, uh, glimpse practices, which we talked about on the previous podcast, but I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more now, um, which is just kind of like, hey, brief moments of short times, many times of moments of awareness throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And the most new to my practice would be that idea of glimpse practices and then being consistent with a formal central practice because there are like a bunch of different things, like I mentioned previously, that you can branch off on, such as like different types of awareness practices doing like uh, metal loving kindness practices, broadening circles of compassion, working through emotions. Like there's all these different things, but there's always that essentially like outside walking or we'll say movement-based mindfulness. Then there's glimpse practices to implement it into everyday life. And then a central practice to help you deepen, uh, stabilize, and then sustain your mindfulness. So those, cool. that's like the main different things that I go through each day. Amazing. Yeah, and for man, you were on the you were on the mindfulness book way before I was. You were on there before I even started before TSE even started. Like it's I've only been going on this for a year, and I feel like in a year, uh, it has done so much to make my life better and make me, um, you know, like uh, we'll get into sort of the, some of the benefits later. But for me, the ability to to kind of I have a I have what I call a high entropy mind. So there's a, a, just a lot of shit going through my brain all the time, and I think I've used that up until now as like a tool, right? To be able to, um, you know, have a, a lot of ideas, be able to have pay, uh, you know, deep attention to detail because it's all stored in there, take a lot of notes and allowed me to do a lot of things like with TFC or in just projects I'm working on in my life. The problem is I realized is that I've literally been training myself to, to do that, right? To training myself to have a lot of ideas going on in my brain which made it very difficult to get to sleep if you're thinking of all the things that you, you know, you're solving all your problems when you have a, a moment of quiet and that's only at bedtime, then that's a big problem for sleep. Um, yeah. So being able to sort of harness the entropy in my brain and be able to compartmentalize my day so that at certain points I am able to just be calm, um, just go inward and just like think to myself instead of always having thoughts about external things. Um, but yeah, 15 minute central practice every morning, first thing in the morning when I wake up, um, that's like, it was funny. It's funny because that was something I used to dread doing and, uh, and my brain would find funny ways to procrastinate and do random things instead of meditating because I was yeah. just like subconsciously trying to avoid it. Um, 
like I would do dishes at the exact time I was supposed to meditate. <laughs> like, you know, you recognize these little tricks your brain plays. Um, and so it was something I dreaded. And now it's literally something I actually look forward to. Like when I wake up in the morning, read my values, make my bed. And then I literally look forward to going and sitting down for 15 minutes and just, you know, trying different things right now. I'm trying to play with different types of awareness, like broadening awareness and even um, opening my eyes and being able to keep a really non-specific field of vision for me that's been a tricky one because you know i almost play mind games with myself like okay i think i have a broad vision wait i'm looking at something specific and then you kind of play yeah. games with yourself but that's been a fun one and then um every day i go for at least two walks um one of them is always barefoot the first one in the morning and there's no phone and i literally just try and observe uh as much detail and as much um little things that I would not usually observe, whether that's literally ants stopping and just watching ants do things for like a minute or, you know, observing trees or whatever it is, like just trying to be as broad as possible and as observant as possible um, without being in my own mind during the walk and thinking of what I have to do when I get home. So, um, you know, and then throughout the day, just trying to be, yeah, like more mindful, trying to have more moments where I'm catching myself before doing like a habitual routine behavior. But that central practice is, I think, really powerful. And um, every day I do at least 10 minutes on the beam. And I find that's almost like a mindfulness practice as well. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you have a really good indicator of whether you're losing, getting lost in thought, you usually fall off the beam. So um, yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing your story. I think it's, I think a lot of times human relate, humans relate to other humans through story. And I think just Mm-hmm. I've found from personal experience that sharing my story about a certain area of health is significantly more potent than me telling, blabbing on about a bunch of information or research or, you know, deeper stuff about that topic. So um, hopefully that's helpful for people listening. Um, let's talk about awareness um, and how it relates to mindfulness and meditation. So I get maybe a first place to go to is how do you define or like, what does awareness mean to you? So as far as awareness goes, it's that there's kind of, I guess like there's two different ways to look at this. One, it's that recognition that you're like having a focus or an attention towards something, right? So like I'm aware of what I'm feeling, of what I'm thinking, or what I'm experiencing in moment to moment. But I also really like how more formal mindfulness and meditation practices such as like Buddhism kind of talk about awareness. So they look at it as the essence and the foundation of mindfulness and meditation is awareness and awareness is a knowing, right? So it's like a fundamental knowing of what's happening. So when you're aware of hearing, you're not some outside entity that's then connecting to your hearing, right? You're, you're at a fundamental level knowing that there is sound, knowing that there is sight, knowing that there is taste, smell, Mm -hmm. thoughts, whatever. So it's a fundamental and kind of like deep knowing of just what's happening in your current experience. And so that's really what, what I really like, especially because you can change the ranges to which you're being aware, like you mentioned earlier, where it's more focused, more flexible, more open. And I think that that's a good way to look at awareness. And it might seem a little bit out there at first, but it really, it's kind of like the analogy that we went over before, which is that idea of like the river and whether okay, are you, are you in the river and lost with your experience or are you outside the river looking at it? Well, if you're looking at it, you're knowing what's happening. You're not lost in it mm. or separate from it. You're kind of part of that scene together. And I think that for anyone that really wants to dive into a lot more types of awareness, that little book of being 
by uh, Diana Winston is a really good piece because she specifically talks about all the different types of awareness uh, that can happen that one and that one can go through. And that's how it, it's kind of like that fundamental essence and foundation of mindfulness and meditation. Hmm. Wow. That was a good, dude, you're so good at explaining these things. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, like, this is great. I, I actually get to interview someone and ask questions and be curious instead of having to talk the whole time. I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk. So, yeah. Um, yeah I, so like awareness, you know, for me is just being conscious of something. And I almost think of it as like, is it even on your radar, right? If you had one of those little radar, green radar screens with a thing going around, like, is it even a dot on your radar? Are you conscious and aware that that thing is there? Um, and are you paying attention to it at that period of time? Um, and I think, yeah, it is kind of an abstract word, but you know, one of the things we talk about on a macro level at TFC is that awareness, a lack of awareness is a fundamental um, issue in terms of health. Right. If you're not aware of the problem, you know, I, I think uh, I can't remember whose quote it was, but um, a problem understood is half solved. And it's like yeah. if you don't understand, if you're not aware of a problem or if you don't understand a problem, it's literally impossible to solve it. But if you do understand and you are aware, you've already done half the work to solve it because now you just have to like figure out, OK, well, how do I change behavior or how do I implement different things? Um, and so, you know, awareness can apply to a lot of different things, right? Like awareness of an event awareness of, um, you know, and this, this is more abstract, but uh, like an awareness of a sense of energy. If I'm having a conversation with you, I can kind of feel your energy, right? Are you, did you just have a really bad interaction? Are you kind of high strung? Are you yeah. mellow and calm? So an awareness of energy. And I think that just comes through emotional intelligence, um, an awareness of your own feelings and thoughts. Like, do you even, are, are the things running through your mind, even on your radar or, you know, like you said, are you in the river? Are you observing the river? Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I think awareness is such a, could be a very nebulous word, which makes it very hard to convey like, okay, how do people understand this and kind of grab onto something concrete so that they can implement it. But I think it's just, uh, knowing and being conscious of something and that that's sort of the first step. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very powerful, like it's a prerequisite basically for meditation and mindfulness, right? Yeah. And I mean, you've mentioned curiosity, like that word curiosity, curiosity is popping up. Uh, quite a bit. And I think that that's a key point to recognize too, because in order to want to be aware of what's going on or to want to know yourself and have that introspection a lot better, you need to be curious. Like that's, in my opinion, that's how you build and sustain a practice and become, and, and get better at becoming more aware. Because when you lead with curiosity about what you feel, what you think, your interactions with others, the, the mindset of yourself, versus like the mindset of your community. Well, if you're not curious about it, then you're not going to want to continue to learn it, right? You're going to be like, oh, yep. this sucks. I hate this. I'm like having not a good time. I feel like I'm not making progress. I should just be done. But if you lead with curiosity, then it provides an opportunity to constantly grow and learn and want to become more aware of what's happening in your day-to-day -day experience. So I think that curiosity is really, with awareness is like a foundational piece of continuing to build uh, and get after someone's like mindfulness practice. Yeah, and I think curiosity, if you add the, the words non-judgmental and kind to a sense of curiosity, it's a complete game changer, right? Because yeah. I really think that mindfulness and even a, a meditation practice is really has to reflect an innate curiosity of wanting to get to know yourself. Why do I do the things I do, right? The things I don't want to do, but I still do. Why the heck do I do those, right? And when you discover something you're doing or you're reminding yourself of something you're doing that you 
that you don't want to be doing, doesn't align with the person you want to be, you have to be kind and non-judgmental, right? You have to not condemn yourself for making discoveries of like shitty habits you do. You just have to be like, hmm, that's really interesting, right? I'm, tr I'm not trying to do that, but I'm continuously doing that. And, you know, like a fundamental awareness gap I, I see with people is, you know, and the, and the, the easiest litmus test to, to see this is I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Like we have the same amount of time every day <laughs> um, and it's a shitload of time if you're actually using it well. So I think the, this awareness gap of where people are spending their time is, is huge, right? And I think part of it is because the attention economy so easily hijacks us and steals our, like you said, if you're not deciding where to spend your time, companies will be deciding where you're spending it, yeah. um, your time or your attention. And I think you know, when you actually get people to tune in and become aware of where are they allocating their time during the day, all of a sudden there's a massive swath of time that is being spent doing things they don't, might not realize they're doing or might not actually want to be doing. And yet are without an awareness of that, you're sort of powerless and you're still on the merry, you're still on the Ferris wheel of continuing to do that. Right. And it's like the people who say they don't have 10 minutes to meditate are often the people who spend three hours a day on social media or Netflix. And it's like, okay, there's, there's something there, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to be mean to yourself and condemn yourself for doing that, but you need to gain an awareness and basically decide what matters to you, right? Does, does Netflix matter more than your mental health? Because Netflix yeah. is much more incentivized than working on meditation, but you have to kind of take an outsider's look and be like, okay, well, does the does where I'm spending my attention and money align with what I actually value in life? And if not, how can I bridge the gap and start to make inroads to figure out how to allocate that time <laughs> and energy better? Um, and I think, yeah, I just think where people spend their time is a massive awareness gap. What are your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree. And when someone says that they don't have the time, I think it's kind of just like a misunderstanding of what awareness and mindfulness is. When, <laughs> when someone, or I guess I would say that's a very dualistic mindset, the idea of like, I'm physically doing something or I'm mentally doing something and the state of both are separate from one another, where when you're practicing mindfulness or awareness, that's, that's like a full integration, right? Like you can live and act from a place of mindfulness. There's not like a mm. separate piece where I'm yes. focused on this task and it's outside of me and that's it. No, it's all, uh, it's all a integrated, connected one piece. So it's not like, okay, I want to join the gym or I want to go run. I have to stop what I'm doing this one thing and go do this other thing. It's I can do that thing, but there's no, there, there's no need for there to be a separation, right? Like I can mm -hmm. still be doing work during the day, but be mindful of what's happening. Right. Right. And be mindful of like what I'm deciding to do in each moment. So I think that when someone's like, I don't have the time. Well, it's like, no, you can do this during your day. You can do this while you're at work. You can do this while you're training, while you're moving. And it's not something, like I said, where you have to initially sit down, stop what you're doing completely, and then focus on your breath. That is a beneficial practice that someone can end up developing, but that doesn't, be the, that doesn't have to be the thing that you start with. And so I think that that's something that people can do for them to integrate it into their everyday life, because that's the point. You want to integrate mindful awareness into your everyday life not just while you're sitting on the meditation pillow or every once in a while, if you want to try and be mindful or, you know, when you open up your meditation app, whatever it might be, like you want to be able to do it in everyday life as much as you can, because then you're living in a non-reactive state and you're living in more of a proactive state. Yeah. That, oh dude, that's a great, 
That's a great way of wording it. And I think it's almost helpful. Like you said, people think that mindfulness or meditation is something I need to take extra time to do. When in reality, it's like, you're just putting a different lens in front of your face to look at the world through a different, the lens of mindfulness, which means that it can color every behavior you do in your normal life, not necessarily something that is a siloed practice or siloed thing you need to take extra time to do. Um, so, cause modern life is overwhelming. It really is like between yeah. the information overload between um, the fact that we are constantly available with technology for anyone's beckoning call and for notifications coming in left, right, and center. Like I, I really think we've passed the human threshold for information processing capacity of the brain. And, and so we're just trying to tread water and not get overwhelmed. Um, and you know, we really have to almost like think of, okay, well, how do I reduce the, the, input coming in that's overloading my system? How do I pare away the less important inputs so that I actually have the bandwidth to think to myself instead of just being essentially like, like a puppet? How do I be someone who's more self-directed and can determine what I'm thinking instead of being told what to think, instead of being distracted 24-7? How do I cultivate a life of focus, right? Instead of trying to multitask, how do I focus on single tasking? Like that's one of my, one of my favorite things to do these days is like single tasking. And, and it's funny how what I initially thought was doing one thing actually turned out to be like three or four things. They were just really <laughs> subtle. And I'm like, holy shit, you can get a lot of deep work done if you're just doing one thing, right? That yeah. includes the thoughts you have. That includes even having your, even having my phone around me in my visual field distracts me in some way it's very odd but this little wizard always has this pull on me or if i can feel it on my body or if i can see it in my periphery my brain is automatically allocating some brain power to yeah. thinking of is something on there is something going like i don't even have notifications on um and i haven't had them for a while but it still has a pull and it's very it's very interesting if you're really taking a deep uh examination of of where your brain is diverting attention when you truly single task, you can get so much done in a period of, in a short period of time. So, um, yeah. digital minimalism is definitely a, uh, an extremely powerful tool. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's also challenging because when your life revolves around digital connection to other people, yeah. it's like, all right, all right, this is going to be tricky, but, but it can still be done because I realized there's just a lot of super, superfluous chaff of, of how I was using technology. Right. And even something as simple as having a relationship with someone whereby, they don't expect immediate replies, right? They know that if you're not replying, it's probably because you don't have your phone on you or you're not yeah. using your phone at that period of time. And I think being clear with the people you communicate with where that's bi-directional, like you don't expect an immediate reply to an email or text message um, is a very liberating thing because then it gives you permission to engineer your life where there's periods of no bombardment of digital messages. And, um, and yeah, I think, you know, because it's always a double-edged sword, right? Like Slack with the Footner program. If you treat yep. Slack as something that notifies you anytime someone says something, you're going to drive yourself bonkers. Um, but if, you know, I treat Slack as like cold immersion, like I go in and then I get out. <laughs> and yeah. then, like it's intense while I'm in there, but I also have a complete disconnection to it when I'm not on there because otherwise it just steals attention. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, you, ha you have like, you know your intention behind using the Slack app, right? So right. if someone, I feel like, having the, an awareness and an understanding of like what someone's intentions are can be brought about really easily through simply asking them why they use certain social media apps. Like, why do you use Facebook? Why do yep. you use Instagram? Why do you go use this podcast app? And they might be like, Oh, well I use it for this. 
And then it's like, okay, well, next time you use the app, ask yourself, are you using it for that reason? Right. Probably not, right? You're probably just mindlessly scrolling, <laughs> yeah. liking stuff without even looking at it or reading it, and then clicking like share on something that caught your attention. But was that really your intention for using the app, right? Because our thoughts develop into our intentions and our intentions lead to our actions. So if you don't know what your intention is, you're just kind of letting the action be whatever that company that has the app using, it's whatever they want your action to be. Yes. And there's got to be that initial setup of like, okay, this is my intention. This is why I'm using it. And when it's not suiting my intention, then I'm not using it. Right. That's great. And I think doing a little audit, you know, intermittently, and I found myself <laughs> doing these more and more frequently as I'm just becoming more aware of how much social media pulls, you know, can pull on my attention. If you do these audits where it's like, it does, why am I using this? Is the way I'm using it right now, does it align with my intention of why I'm using it? And, you know, the more frequently you can do those little micro audits, I think the more awareness you cultivate as to how much power these things have and having an awareness of the power gives you back the power to control how you're using it. Like use it as a tool instead of you being used as a tool to make them money. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a very weird world. And as an adult who is pretty, has a high level of awareness, I would consider more than the average person of the nuts and bolts of how social media works. I can't even imagine being a teenager <laughs> trying to figure out the world and also just being like, it's so freaky how this is just allowed to happen. This is such a, we have this giant psychological experiment that we're running on humans and no one seems to be <laughs> really saying like some people are, but it's yeah. definitely not getting the, the, you know, the, the, immensity and importance of the issue is not being reflected in how much people are actually talking about it. And I, I think that that's, you're going to eventually hit a tipping point. I think we already are with, you know, um, teenagers and psychological problems like anxiety and depression. Like we're already, yes. the, the indicators are there. They're actually very obvious. And yeah. yet there seems to be, we've dug ourselves into this hole where we're addicted to the way things are being done. And there's no uh, responsibility. There's no, accountability for who's taking ownership of the health externalities created by this, right? Like everyone's, yeah. it's kind of like the environment, right? The attentional environment is suffering the same. Uh, those aren't, that's not our problem, right? We're just creating a tool, right? We're just, and it's, it's funny because they claim to be creating a neutral tool, but they're actually, but they know very well that they're not creating a neutral yeah, they're tool. They're, they're creating an engineered addiction platform because it makes yes. them shit loads of money. Um, it's terrible. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. But but awareness, awareness is the key. If we're aware of it, then we can know better. And because um, right. I don't think it's going to be regulation anytime soon, so we just have to make sure people are it's on the radar that this can be a powerful thing, and you have to use it carefully. Like if you had a really, you know, if you carried around a loaded gun all day, you'd be really careful to make sure the safety was on, to make sure that you're not doing silly things with it. Like mm -hmm. treat social media as a loaded gun, and know that the more you understand that tool the safer you can be in using it. Um, but I just don't think the awareness is there culturally right now. Um, let's talk about, okay. So I want to hear your take on, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the, why is a mindfulness practice important? Why is it important for people to um, spend some of their energy diving into, you know, you know, perhaps building a central meditation practice or living a more mindful life? If someone comes to you and is like, Mitch, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed out right now. You know, this whole work situation at the moment, right now, it's September 30th. We're still in the middle of the thing, the C word, which I don't even want to get into that. But, um, you know, like I, I don't have a mind. I, I don't I just heard about mindfulness and I know meditation is probably good for me, but I don't do it. 
how would you introduce the conversation with someone to get them, I guess, interested or, you know, build a strong case for them to start doing their own research to find out how they can start to build that practice. So, you know, what would you tell that person? Yeah. So my initial thing would be, especially if someone was like, I'm feeling stressed, I feel overwhelmed. I think mindfulness can help. Then it would, it could initially be less ends up being more, right? Like yeah. when you do less, you will do the things that you're doing less much better, right? So like simplifying down what you're doing and you will also feel more relaxed. So the thing that I like to do whenever someone asks me about mindfulness meditation practices and starting it is having them actually do an exercise or go through and I ask them questions, right? Because ultimately being mindful and meditating is about the person's individual felt experience. Mm -hmm. And so I'll either lead them through a mindfulness practice called RAIN, which stands for rest, or excuse me, recognize, uh, accept, investigate, and nurture. And there's a couple different variations of it, but that's essentially the main point. And so I would lead them through and I could say, all right, think about the last time you were anxious at work. Okay, well, recognize that feeling. Okay, and then accept the feeling that you're having, right? Don't try and get rid of it. Don't try and distract yourself. Just fully accept the current mm -hmm. version of what's going on in your life. And then I would say, investigate it. Lead with curiosity. Where do you feel the feeling that you have, right? If you're feeling anxious, what does that feel like? You're able to label it. You've labeled it anxiety. So do you feel a rush in your chest? Do you feel tingling? Do you feel lightheaded? What's your thought pattern like, right? Like map your mind. Are you having like a bunch of constant thoughts that are just coming? Well, if, if you are, are they imagining thoughts? Like you're imagining something happening in the future. Are you remembering something and stressing about something that happened in the past? And then again, like, what does it feel like in your body? And lead with curiosity and non-judgmentally. And then usually when people start to do that and I'll lead them through, they're all of a sudden like, oh, they immediately, like we mentioned earlier, being able to tell someone's mood, they immediately begin to seem more relaxed because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, it's like, because they're getting a fundamental understanding of what the process of their experience is like, it immediately just feels more calming because they feel more in control of their experience. And then once they lead through that investigation piece, then you can note slash nurture, which is that idea of like in the river versus not in the river. It's okay. Well, you were still in the experience the exact same way you were before, but the subtle difference was you were with it, not lost in it right? Like you weren't being controlled by your thoughts, controlled by the feeling, especially because anxiety and excitement are like neurologically so close as far as like what it looks like in the brain. Mm -hmm. But when you're able to do that, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, well, that felt really good. Is that mindfulness practice? It's like, yes, it is. You didn't have to sit and meditate and you can do that during any point in your day. <laughs> and great. it's a skill, right? And it's a skill where at first maybe you're like, oh, there's no way I could do rain in like a short period of time, I'd have to like totally take all my energy away. It's like, no, you can do that while you're doing other things because <laughs> yeah, you're just, just paying attention. I just pictured someone being like, sorry, you can't, I can't talk to you right now. I'm raining right now. Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm not able to do it. I'm too distracted. But when it's like you use rain for the thing that you're currently doing. So that's the first thing that I would lead them through or uh, either like before or after we go through rain, I would ask them to think about a time and it's usually for most people when they're like outside, uh, I think tell them to think about a time when they were either in nature or for some people, it's like, you know, when you're at a, a music event and you're really just like totally lost in the experience, right? I feel like every person has had at least one experience like that where 
there wasn't a you, it was just the experience that was happening. And usually it was like a pleasant experience, right? Mm -hmm. So think of a time like that. And it's like, that is a type of awareness. You were fully aware of everything that was happening. There just wasn't a you like in your head walking around, right? Mm -hmm. And you can learn how to access that type of feeling during daily life. And then you can also like, that's a first way to say there's other versions of that, right? Because that's just that spectrum of awareness. So using rain in that way, and then using, hey, think about a time that this has happened to you again, so they can kind of, it's like to make them, to make someone more interested, you have to make it immediately relate to them and show them that it can immediately have a felt difference on their experience right now. So right. if someone comes up and asks that, I would lead them through rain. I would ask them to think about a time in the past and then just talk about what their thoughts are on that and then lead into answering questions that they might have around like, okay, well, what's technically happening? Why, why am I feeling this way when I do this rain practice? What's going on when I was out in nature and I felt this way, right? Because ultimately mindfulness and meditation, I think a lot of people are skeptical at first because like we said, you know, there's like the yogis that seem like super hippies and they're all kind of like, you know, navel gazers and they're like, everything's totally fine in the world, right? It's just your ego that's mad at everything. Well, it's like, <laughs> no, there's still bad shit going on. You need to work to change it. Um, and, you know, there's that idea of, of uh, spiritual materialism. But if you have it connect immediately with them right away, it's something that, again, le it makes them more curious to pay more and more attention to their moment. And then kind of like we've both experienced I think I lost you for a sec. All right, we had a little uh, tech glitch there, but we, I, I discovered the pause recording button on Zoom. So thank you, Woo! Zoom, for creating that. So you left off saying, like we've discovered, and then uh, I can't remember ah, what yes. you were saying. So just like you and I have discovered, once you initially lead with that curiosity, you eventually develop a joyful vigor for being aware. And that's a really interesting term for people that have never really thought about it before, right? Like it's, it's an excitement just to be paying attention to what's happening. Yes. And a lot of people usually don't have that, right? Like it's always, I'm excited for something that's in the future. I'm excited for something that involves me not having to do something I don't like. But this applies, that idea of a joyful vigor for being aware applies to any moment all the time, regardless of the emotion because it always means that you're constantly learning and improving. And so that initial person that is skeptical, hey, I'm interested in mindfulness, I'm feeling really stressed. It would just be that lead with rain, develop into, uh, or lead with rain, ask them personal questions that relate around them having a, a positive felt experience, and then continuing the conversation through either answering questions, uh, bringing up more past experiences that they've been able to have that type of awareness, and then continue from there. And, and I think the main point here to also recognize on the back end is you don't have to do this alone, right? Like do mindfulness with other people that have yeah. been doing it longer, right? Like yep. seek someone out. We're social creatures, like spend time doing it with others. It's a lot better than doing it alone. Someone that's been doing it longer or even someone else. I think it's better to have, it's, it's good to have someone who's been doing it longer, but also do it with someone who's just starting as well. Because I think yeah. collaboratively, you're both sort of on this path of self-discovery. Uh, number one, I'm amazed with how quickly you picked up that train of thought. So that was, <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> seamless. Um, but number two, just picking up on a, things that you said earlier, you know, when, when you're bringing up rain to someone, you talk about, okay, think about a time that you were anxious. 
Um, I think the fundamental basis for anxiety is, is a sense of uncertainty, right? Like you're maybe thinking of something in the future that you're not certain about and the uncertainty of not having a solution to that problem that you're either self-imposing and is either real or perceived, uh, but not mm -hmm. real is the problem. And I think when you go through rain, you know, whether you realize that that anxiety is actually unfounded and you're overthinking something that might not even happen and probably won't, um, or whether you actually realize that it's something worth worrying about, acknowledging and diving into that and giving yourself a sense of closure that it's a, it is a founded sense. You know what the sense is like. You've thought about it deep enough to sort of solve that problem or at least make sense of it um, is the solution to reducing the anxiety. And I think one of the fundamental issues today um, is that there are, you know, the feeling of anxiety is uncomfortable. It's not something people like to feel. And I think never before have we had such potent outlets for distraction, whether that's, you know, super sugary content food or, yeah. social, or social media, which is in your, you literally have a, the most powerful, potent distraction machine ever created on planet Earth in your pocket at all times. So the easier path and the one that I think gets behaviorally ingrained is when I feel uncomfortable, I distract myself to give myself a short burst of positive feelings and to get away from the negative feelings, right? We, we often do things to get away from, from the bad feelings. And so it takes an awareness to realize that you're distracting yourself in order to create even a, a micro element of space to be able to implement rain. And I think another thing I really love that you said is it doesn't matter how much you explain mindfulness or meditation, getting people to feel it. It's just like barefoot. Like I can tell someone to go barefoot all until the cows come home until they do yeah. it and feel it and prove to themselves that it feels good and that it's safe and that it's okay. And that it's not that hard. Um, they're probably not going to, it's not going to register deeply. And I think you walking someone through rain collaboratively and getting them to, to sort of, um, you know, bring up a previous moment where they felt anxiety, that is super powerful. I loved how you, it was, it was basically demonstration through experience instead of demonstration through, through speaking to them about information. And I think that's extremely powerful. And, you know, if someone said, well, what are the benefits of, okay, I understand the process of rain. What kind of benefits can I expect to get? Because you know that people are just, they love to know, well, how, how's that going to give me benefits right now? <laughs> and it's like, right. it's funny because there actually is a right now benefit, but there is also like this massive trickle through long-term benefit to developing a mindfulness practice. And I can definitely relate to the excitement of recognizing when I'm aware. Um, and that, and that, that, you know, habits are built through positive emotions. And when you get a positive emotion from feeling like, wow, I was aware, or I went through that. Um, rain sequence in like 10 seconds and mm -hmm. I instantly figured out that why I'm uncomfortable why I'm feeling that weird emotion after that interaction I have with someone that is a positive emotion that feeds forward to being like wow I can't wait to practice I can't wait to do that next because I can get rid of all these negative feelings that I'm imposing mm -hmm. on myself and solve them and I think that positive emotion is the domino effect that carries someone forward with wanting to be more curious and and you know having building a habit basically of even subconsciously implementing that instead of subconsciously implementing a distraction tactic. And I think it's, uh, it's super powerful. So what would you say if someone said, well, what are the benefits? Yeah. So for benefits, it would be on a very broad scale, you will lessen your suffer. You're, you will lessen your suffering. So yeah. that comes about a lot through resistance or avoidance where you're trying to resist the negative emotion, cultivate a positive emotion. So you'll be able to end that type of, constant pleasure seeking, followed by feeling bad, uh, 
situation that leads to you not feeling great about yourself. So that's one thing. But it also will just improve your lifestyle in significantly more ways than you might imagine. To give an example, you will, one, as far as stress levels feel, you will feel less stressed, right? You will feel less anxious. You will feel uh, less moments of anger or upset. And when you do feel them, it's not a bad thing that you do. You'll just be able to be non, you, you won't live in a reactive state. You'll be able to be mindful in your decision-making. Being mindful in your decision-making also means that whatever you do for uh, like work in your life, you will be a lot better at it. And you will be able to lead yourself down a path of making decisions that allow you to do one, what you love for your work. If you decide that you want to make changes or two, you will do your work better and you will be a better team player in your work. And that's kind of regardless of whether you're a professional sports athlete or you work in a company or you work in any type of job. A lot of times what I've seen is, is positions in different companies will focus on, well, we have to develop the person's skill in this one thing and we have to develop the team. So the team is working better and the team leader is always focusing on other people but it's like no one's ever saying how do you improve the experience of yourself and then how you interact with everything. So it's kind of like the ultimate superpower for an individual to become a better communicator, a better team player, someone that becomes then it, they seek out compassion and the ability to help others. So they improve their, their work performance, their work efficiency. They start to not get annoyed with, with who they're working with, right? Like how many times you've heard someone maybe be like, okay, well, I'm feeling super stressed and I'm feeling maybe a little bit depression, anxious at home. Well, it's like, well, that's going to affect you at work if it's happening in your home life or if work's affecting you, that's going to affect your home life. So practicing mindfulness will make those things feel a lot better. Or when someone's like, I went to work, I was working with a customer and I had a terrible day. Well, it's like, well, if you use rain, you won't let that person's impressions affect you negatively, right? Like it, it just won't matter. And if you're communicating with a team member, one, anything that they do that is really good, it'll take away maybe any type of initial feeling of jealousy, like, oh, they succeeded. I feel jealous about it. But then on the opposite end, it'll also mean that if you're interacting with a fellow team member that frustrates you, well, then that, that won't really happen anymore because again, you'll be paying attention to your felt experience. You might still be frustrated, but the way that you respond to it, instead of it maybe being something that's like a cycle of you complain about it to yourself, you complain about it to close friends, and then you go back to work and do the exact same thing, or even go back to your personal life and do the exact same thing. It's kind of like you're deciding to break the cycle of, I feel this bad emotion. I seek the release of venting about it. And then I just repeat it all over again. You break that cycle and you actually make a change. Right. Yes. So the benefit of it is you're going to feel less stressed. You're going to be, you're going to be making progress in what you actually want to make progress in. And you're not going to get stuck in some type of loop of, you know, here's this shitty thing that happened. I don't feel great. I find some way to gain a release and maybe I, I seek something that causes some type of pleasure, whether that's purchasing a new material item, going on some type of three day vacation to then go back to a job or a home life that I hate right? Like it takes all that away and it gives you, it gives you the option to actually make a difference to then have a consistently positive experience where even if something negative happens, you're still able to deal with it in a beneficial way. It makes that sustained long-term and it really does fundamentally change also like your brain, like literally over time. 
yeah, lets you step off the ride. And I think it's so many people just feel powerless to even know that they can step off the ride. And, yeah. you know, I know people who often complain about how shitty everyone they work with is. And it's like, there's no self-awareness to the fact that they play a role in every interaction. Yeah. If, you have a, if you don't have self-awareness to know you're really bad to work with, you're basically a cluster bomb in every scenario you go into. And then you're like, oh, look at all these people exploding around me. It's like, yeah, but you've launched all those explosions. Like it takes two yeah. people to, to create an interaction. If all your interactions are bad, maybe the first place you should go is internally to see like, am I playing a part in these shitty interactions? Because the likelihood of everyone around you being really miserable and it's just a them problem is really the mm-hmm. PS. And I know I've gone yeah. through, through those phases in my life. So, you know, it comes from a place of personal realization and it stings a bit when you're like, ah, oh, it's me doing this? Shit. (laughs) But then when you, you know, I really think it's a powerful tool that, you know, mindfulness and even just rain specifically as a specific tool. Um, Have we done a rain video for beam tribe in terms of awareness? I think we should. I don't know if we've done a rain. We have a, an article up on the tribe. Yeah. Yeah, Chapter, but we don't have a video. We'll have to knock that out. Yeah, because that's a that you I mean you explaining it like that just made me realize how powerful of a tool that is for to give people a ticket to get off the ride. And uh and I think it's a really tangible one, especially I love how you give examples too because you're not just talking about it in terms of a theoretical framework. You're giving mm-hmm. examples that are real life that I think when people listen to this are going to be like, "Shit, that sounds like me." Right? I always oh, well, yeah. I do that. I did that yesterday, <laughs> you know? And uh and I think it's very powerful to build a sense of being able to relate to these scenarios and actually give tangible examples instead of like abstract things which can be harder for people to place um sort of in their own life. So, yeah, lots of benefits. And you know, I think the <clears throat> for me the regulation of emotional extremes and the shortening of a half-life of of those extreme emotions um you know, whether that's like really super happy or really super sad or angry or whatever it is, um, it, they're not as extreme for me and how long they last is significantly shorter. So I, I, mm-hmm. I might still get angry when something happens, but I'll create space so that I don't externally express that anger. I'll just sort of like process, the, process it through my mind. And it's funny because as you were going through rain, I was like, I don't know, before I even knew rain, I kind of went through a similar process just through self-discovery. It's like, okay, I'm sensing this. I wonder why I'm sensing this. Should I be sensing this? How long should I sense this for? Is it still beneficial mm-hmm. to me? And then just sort of letting it go and also being like, it was okay to do that. Like, that's just how I've been programmed through my whole life. I, I shouldn't condemn myself for being like that, but I should, if I'm aware of it, I can change how I am in future. And I think, um, you know, the emotional regulation, I think it's, it's so easy for people these days to just blow up because I think the threshold until we just freak out is has globally been heightened with everything going on right now right like there is a there's some serious stuff going on right now that i don't even think the average person recognizes um and so we all should be a little bit on edge we all should be a little bit anxious right um and that's okay that's normal but i think the need to be able to recognize those things and have personal strategies to be able to you know adaptively deal with those is more now than i think ever before um I don't know how you feel about that, but I I really think that the mental health side of all this stuff going on right now, there's so many things distracting us and that are very pressing in the world that like big problems that we've got to deal with, that it's easy to avoid kind of spending time on ourselves and and kind of realizing like, wow, this is affecting me in a big way. But I think there's going to be a refractory period where people will, there's going to be, there's going to be issues. And I think 
taking personal responsibility is the key to making sure that all of us get through this collaboratively and together and helping each other and being kind to each other and knowing that like, mm -hmm. that person is ha probably just having a miserable day. And I've had those days. So you're just being nice to that person. You know, I'm not saying you have to excuse and negate if they're doing shitty behavior, especially if it affects yeah. you personally, but, but it's also good to just keep in mind like, okay, well, something bad probably happened to that person and it's not okay that they're acting like that, but I also get it because I've done that before. I think it's powerful. Yeah. It's when you bring up a lot of fair points, it kind of all comes together as you're not trying to resist any emotions, right? It's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel stressed. It's okay to feel angry. But like you said, changing yourself. Mindfulness is just a way to change yourself instead of changing others, which ultimately is a lot easier to change yourself than to try and attempt and change other people. So when you and change you do yourself, change others by changing yourself anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's drastically more successful. So if you change yourself and then all of a sudden you become this more positive, more compassionate, more caring person, well, it's kind of like the same thing as when you look at someone, if you smile, they're going to smile back. Well, if you right. all of a sudden are giving love and compassion to others, they're probably going to end up giving love and compassion back to you. And <laughs> right. then even then to other people as well. So it's, it's just like that tool to be able to change yourself while still accepting all those different things that happen. I mean, that doesn't mean don't take action, right? Like, regardless of different things that are going on, you should still take action to change what you want to, but it's that foundational acceptance that gives you the power to change. Right. Yeah. It's so funny how when you're nicer to the world, the world is instantly nicer to you. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's also like, it all has to be in context, right? You can't be nicer away to not pay your mortgage, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but you can, but yeah, I think it's just, there's so many outlets and the, the struggle is not, you know, using those outlets to be nice. It's actually recognizing that there are outlets to be nice by changing mm -hmm. yourself. Um, let's talk about resistance um, and challenges to establishing a mindfulness practice. Like where, you know, for me in terms of a central meditation practice, my perception of what it was and how I judged success and failure was, was the biggest lack of understanding that made it really hard for me to establish a practice, right? Like my thought was, if meditation is sitting down, eyes closed, not thinking of anything, um, I'm really terrible at this because I can't stop thinking of things, right? I can't stop my, I can't harness my brain. It's like this out of control animal that I don't know how to train and it's really upsetting. So I'm just not going to do it because I feel like shit when I do it. And the whole point is to mm -hmm. feel better. Um, and then when my perception switched to be like, okay, well, success and failure, success is determined by consistently showing up to do it regardless of what actually happens in that, in that individual chunk of time. And when I put my, when I changed my perception of that, it was way easier to succeed. And just sitting down for five minutes with my own thoughts, if that was a metric for success, I was like, well, shit, I can do that. And if I, if I don't care as much about what's happening in that period of time, and I just welcome whatever happens. I welcome every thought that comes into my brain um, sort of non-judgmentally. Well, this feels really good because I'm succeeding without having to, without, you know, as soon as I ditched the shitty perception of what success was, it instantly mm -hmm. was a new ball game. And I think, you know, what are challenges that you have found? Um, and what are challenges that you hear from people that you talk about mindfulness and meditation with? For challenges, excluding the challenge of a just doesn't like they've never heard about mindfulness and meditation. So excluding that challenge of, of reaching more people, that first one is the the would I guess be the mindset and interpretation around what mindfulness is and right because you might have some people that are like I said they're they're 
navel gazers and they're like mindfulness is the best thing in the world if you don't do What's it you're a navel gazer? i, I got so it's kind of like uh they use that term interchangeably i believe with something like a like a bliss ninny where they're like oh the world is great <laughs> i'm like the best and well they might not sound the best but they're just like you know everything is love and nothing is wrong and i feel right. wonderful and if you feel bad like you're just not seeing the points like no that's not that's definitely not mindfulness right <laughs> okay you okay. might have yeah, moments yeah. that feel really good like that but that's not the point of mindfulness so the first thing would be a mindset around it i really like the zen word soshin which is stands for beginner's mind which I like to view as two different points, which one, each moment and everything that happens in it is brand new. So you should have a new, a, a fresh look on it, like every moment. And mm -hmm. then separate from that would also be when you're having a growth mindset, when you're going into things that are new, try and not have any like preconceived notions of, I, well, I'm expecting it to be this way because then you're immediately setting expectations on something you don't understand. So mm -hmm when you go through and you're trying to do a mindfulness practice, like you and I have both repeatedly mentioned throughout how our initial thought of mindfulness is totally different than our thought now. And same thing with meditation. So have that open mindset and know that it is definitely going to change as you continue to do it. Yeah. The other challenge that that will help solve is someone thinking that there's only one way to do mindfulness. And as I mentioned previously, there are so many different ways that you can do mindfulness practices. I mean, there's different schools within Buddhism. There's people outside of that um, group that do things like uh, Douglas Harding created a type of mindfulness practice called the Headless Way. People have developed things like those glimpse practices. There's uh, different types of breathwork focused mindfulness practices as well. We've talked about different types of awareness. So understand that there are so many different types and you just initially need to find the one that kind of works for you in the beginning, especially like we haven't uh, dived into it, but I, that idea of like someone being trauma informed mindfulness, like someone that ex has experienced trauma, how they practice mindfulness can be totally different than someone that hasn't experienced trauma. So that's yep. just a brief example of it's going to be totally different. The other main barrier or problem that I think happens with people when they practice mindfulness is that again, that idea of you set an intention and then it didn't meet your intention immediately. So you stopped it. So that would be based around like the goal of meditation. The goal isn't to cultivate some type of mindset or to make yourself feel extremely peaceful and feel bliss. That might happen, but that's not the point. The point is just to simply develop, to develop awareness because then all those wonderful things like joyful vigor, living from a non-reactive state, having the option of choices to improve your life, then all of those things now become possibilities. So when someone goes in and they practice, it's just simply continue to try different practices to feel what works for you and understand that if you're just trying to be mindful, you're already winning. You, you're already doing exactly what you need to do, right? I love that. And what pairs with that is that idea of the best kind of meditation is non-meditation. That's really popular. I heard that from Mingyur Rinpoche, right? The blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. His, <laughs> I love podcast that. Sam Harris. Never gets old <laughs> listening to that. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic, but... His whole thing is like best meditation, non-meditation. So if you're, so like if someone's listening or watching this right now, this is a, a easy example of what meditation could be like. You breathe in, you breathe out, take a second to relax. Don't try and force yourself not to think, just kind of like shake it out and then just, you know, take a second to be silent. That feeling you have right now, that's a version of meditation. That's totally fine. Right? <laughs> I like, love that. that. That is perfect, right? You weren't, you were just doing an action and then resting in 
the experience. That is the point that over time can develop into these amazing different possibilities that can change your life. So it doesn't need to be, I'm not going to, I'm not going to think I am feeling a, a waterfall of thought. I am feeling intense emotions or I'm just like feeling frustrated. Well, the point is be aware of that. If you're aware, you're feeling frustrated, that you're feeling anxious, that you're feeling jittery, all these different things, you're improving, right? Because yep. previously you weren't aware of any of those things, yep. right? The river was all just like kicked up like a storm just came by and all the sediment was lifted, but now everything's settled and you're actually seeing all the contents of your experience. You're, you're doing good if you're, if you're aware that you're experiencing more things. And that's where that non-judgmentally piece comes in, which I think is probably the other hardest part was being like non-judgmental. If someone's like, well, damn, I can't stop thinking. Well, it's like, well, hey, use rain. What, what's up with you being like, crap, I'm so mad that I You're am afraid. not doing well. Well, like, again, that intention that leads to it. So those are kind of different in initial challenges that arise during it. So anyone that comes in, that foundational very beginning thing would be have an open mindset, be willing to try different types of practices. And the goal is not to manifest some type of mindset. Usually when people begin mindfulness practice, this begins in a little bit more of like formal practice, but it's like acknowledge three things. One, acknowledge that what you're doing is benefiting you and it's benefiting others, right? You're doing it for yourself mm -hmm. for that self-liberation, but ultimately what's going to make it sustaining and long lasting is you're doing it so that you can help liberate others, that, so that you can be better for others, for all other sentient beings. That's the one part. Two, and this would be, I guess, a little bit more uh, spiritual based, which would just be like, recognize that you can learn and grow from the teachings of the Buddha, right? Which would be just different types of mindfulness meditation texts, like the sutras or anything like that. And then the next piece from there is understand that even if you might not know anyone initially, you are part of a community of people that are there to help you teach and grow and learn. And they call those, oh, what are those, what do they call those? I'm forgetting the term right now, but it's a, um, it's a term for someone that's an extremely enlightened individual. Essentially they've achieved a term, I guess they'd use would be like, they've achieved that like Buddha state. Um, so like, the, I think it's called Sangha. It means like your, your mindful community. And you have those three things each time you sit down to be mindful, even if you're alone. So mm. understanding that, can really help you overcome a lot of challenges because it's not, I failed right now. It's always you're learning, always you're with other people, always you have the ability to refer back to teachings that are going to help benefit you, regardless of whether it's an old traditional text, something like in the sutras or something more modern, like the waking up app from Sam Harris. No matter what happens, you always have those things to help continue uh, grow and learn. And then always going back to it's for you, but it's also for others. And that can, again, brings that like connectivity to everything. There's no such thing as a solitary human, right? Everything's all connected. We're all together. So having that initial piece of like, I'm doing this for others too, can be really powerful to overcome any challenge that you're having. So like you need to reflect on that when you're experiencing a challenge, that's making you feel frustrated besides just trying to pay attention to the experience. Yeah. I love that. I think, I think having it, having a mindset that you're doing, you're working on this for others. Um, mm -hmm is very powerful, right? Like whether it's, if you're a parent, you're doing this directly for your kids and for your partner to make you a better human to be around and to allow you to facilitate their growth by also growing personally. And I think, you know, I've, I've, that's sort of something I've been thinking of for the past week is, is um, trying to find out like what can actually get, what got me motivated to want to work on my health. And my biggest motivation now is actually not 
um, it's actually for others, right? Like if I, if I get sick or if I am not healthy and not mentally sharp, I can't do these podcasts with you. I can't do what I need to do to make sure that the guys that are doing are, are, are taking care of all of our product sales have my support. So it's like, I'm working on my health to help, to be able to serve others. And so it's like the selfish and unselfish thing gets really muddled. And at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter because all you're doing is trying to find a deeper motivation for why you show up every day to work on your health, to prioritize your health, because that is the foundation that allows you to contribute positively to the world, right? To other people, to your friends, family, loved ones, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I think, you know, like I've always been, um, more of an introvert. Like I would rather go for literally a two hour walk in a forest instead of go to a bar, a loud bar with a bunch of people. Uh, it's just, I've just always preferred that. And so I think mindfulness was something that I innately sort of dove into without even knowing the word mindfulness. Um, but the central practice resistance and challenge for me was I think twofold. One of them was sort of like behavior design challenge where it's like, I didn't have a set time that I did it every day. So I just did it when I remembered. And oftentimes I didn't remember you know? Um, and so I think having a set time for your central practice where you're like this time each day, I have full control over, right? There's nothing that's going to encroach on that time. And for a lot of people, it's just literally wake up 10 minutes earlier because no one is going to be trying to reach you or get at you or distracting you. If you're just getting out of bed 10 minutes earlier, you have some time to yourself. And I think another one was starting small, right? Like the Sam Harris app, I think starts super small. Like you can start with literally 30 seconds, right? If you're not able to, I think just being, kind and, and also examining like, okay, I'm, I haven't been showing up to do this formal practice every day. Like what is, what is the obstacle, right? Like if I have it in time, if I make it 20 seconds, if literally I just make it so that I put a pillow somewhere and I go sit on that pillow and one second later I get off. That's, that's a good way to start a practice. And I think people underestimate the infinitesimal small amount that you can do to begin building a practice because succeeding at doing whatever that amount is, is the positive emotion that facilitates you being able to grow and expand from there. Um, and I think I, I definitely underestimated that, but now I use that in my life and it's really easy to build habits because I just start with this smallest thing <laughs> ever, like literally yeah. putting the, taking the floss out of the drawer and putting it on the counter is step is step 0.01 to flossing my entire <laughs> set of teeth. <laughs> so like, yeah. um, you know, BJ Fogg's work in tiny habits, a really powerful book from a behavior design perspective. Cause oftentimes the behaviors we want to do that we don't find ourselves able to do is really not a motivation or a care a problem or a character problem, or even a discipline problem. It's just a design problem. We haven't found, um, the right way to design this sustainably in our lives. Um, and, you know, it's a combination of your ability to do that behavior, some sort of prompt to be able to actually do it, which I think the prompt is the one that most people miss, right? Like it's not yeah. top of mind. You get prompts all day from your phone about not important stuff, but for the important stuff, we don't actually create prompts or reminders for ourselves to remember to do that. And then your motivation, like why are you doing it, right? And I think one thing for a lot of people is they meditate because they're told meditation is good for them. Mm -hmm. but they're not meditating because they find a deep purpose and why it's worth meditating. So like you said, setting the intention and making sure that you actually have a meaningful purpose that aligns with your soul, not just something that you were told to do, I think is very important. And, you know, it's one of these things. Another thing that's been going through my head is this whole thing of, you know, in the health professional world, this is such a silly word, but non-compliance, right? Yeah. Um, oh, patients just won't do what I ask them to do. And my theory is that is not a patient problem. That is a practitioner problem from a lack of understanding of what really resonates with that person and not yeah. giving them the right shit to do, right? They want to get better. They, they didn't come to see you not wanting to do things to get themselves better, 
So if they're not doing what you're asking them to do, either it doesn't align with a sense of purpose for them, they're not able to do it, or you haven't given them the right level to start at so that they can actually do it in their lives. So um, yeah, it's very interesting. If you take that mindset to yourself, it's like, just be nice to yourself. If I'm not able to do this behavior, why am I not able to do it? And if I dig into it and I start really small and I set a reminder for myself and I know I'm able to do it, it's a really easy way to begin uh, at step one. And we often compare people's step 30 to our step one and feel like a failure because we're not able to do that person's step 30. It's like that person started at step one too, right? You might not be seeing it now, but I think it's important yeah. to remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. That initial like habit build piece and kind of going through that and you're like talking about, Hey, I'm doing this initial piece here. And that also matches up with the whole non-compliance piece. Well, anyone that's being non-compliant, they're not addressing or the person that's working with them isn't addressing the lack of curiosity around it. You're not going to do something that you don't like. If it feels mm -hmm. like work, you're not going to want to do it. Right. And then in addition to that, besides the, the lack of curiosity piece, you're not addressing the felt experience of the individual. If I get injured and I'm supposed to do physical therapy, well, if I don't feel like I'm like interacting or connecting with you, because again, at a fundamental level, we're social creatures, right? So if I go in and the person that's providing my physical therapy is just kind of like not there, kind of out of it and just like, okay, yeah, go on this machine, do this thing. Well, I'm not going to want to, like, I, I end up hurting myself, but I'm not going to want to do anything because it's like, right. well, it sucks to be with this, this individual and I have no curiosity to learn about it yep. or anything like that. So it's developing that piece there. And then again, with habits, the reason why doing those little bits, but also rain can be really important is the whole piece of how habits develop based on kind of like that opera conditioning, your reward-based system. Well, it's like to change your habits over time. You can do that by paying attention to the experience. Even if it's just, Hey, I took, like you said, I took the floss out and I put it out. Well, paying attention to that experience of like what that feels like, it can make that success feel more powerful, which makes you mm -hmm. want to do it more, yep. but you're also actually paying attention to what your perceived reward is in the habit that you're doing. Judson Brewer, who's a, uh, a uh, psychiatrist and studies this does a really good job where he uses rain to help people quit smoking and craving eating. And it's essentially like all they did was have people use rain when paying attention to their smoking. And they were like, I had no idea that cigarettes smelled so bad, tasted <laughs> terrible and made me feel like shit. But then all of a sudden, cause right, your brain, it's like, we don't initially understand how far back our habits were formed. Even the most simplest ones that we don't pay attention to. Cause if it's a habit, you don't know you're doing it. Right. Right. So, if you can up, I think, in my opinion, doing those little steps and using rain helps you update that hierarchy of rewards in your brain much faster than just relying on like, okay, it's either willpower. I got it today or I don't, right. or only changing your environment or trying to do like a habit swapping, which doesn't change the initial problem in the first place. So it's really cool. And I mean, this is just an example of like another benefit of what doing those small steps to start a mindfulness practice and then using a mindfulness practice can have on in like an individual's life, but then also in their community too. Amazing. Yeah. And Judson's book, The Craving Mind is a really good, really good book yeah. for anyone who is detecting behaviors in their life that they find really hard uh, to shed. I think it's really helpful to understand the mechanisms underlying them. And he gives some great pragmatic tools um, in that book. So yeah, he's, uh, I heard him on a podcast. I think it was the um, Rangan Chatterjee's podcast, but anyway, he was, I was amazed at how, how, well, he was able to articulate complex problems in a very simple way. And it's like, yeah. um, it's always a treat listening to those. Actually, you know what it was on? It was in the waking up app that I think I heard Judson. Brewer. He's got a good section on there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it always amazes me at, at, it's always a treat to listen to people who are so well versed in, in the depth and complexity of a topic that they can articulate it in a way that's super elegant and understandable to just the average person without any background information. Um, and Judson was definitely one of those people. So, I mean, we've been going for a while now. It's funny how time flies sometimes. <laughs> um, let's, let's kind of touch on two final things. Um, uh, you know, things to help build a, med- uh, a mindfulness practice. So some more pragmatic tips and then, and we've already talked on some of them. So maybe this is just sort of a summary um, mm-hmm. and maybe adding in a couple of things and then different kinds of mindfulness practice. So the, the, the different types, we could touch on those and then, uh, and then we'll wrap this baby up. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to do these conscious conversations, you know, maybe once a month or every six mm-hmm. weeks or something like that and cover a different element related to mental health. And I, I, I think people can benefit from these. It'll be sort of like a, a more specific, um, show, focused on the mind and focused on hopefully more, more tangible things that people can like literally listen to a podcast, implement something in their life right after, even if it's something small, I think that should be almost like a a goal of ours. Um, But let's talk about things to help build a meditation or a mindfulness practice. I got to get used to working with those (laughs) two words because really it's, I mean, when you say mindfulness practice, you're also saying meditation practice, but if you're saying meditation practice, you might not be saying mindfulness practice. Right. Yeah. It's going to take a while the process. Same, same. So, Uh, or I should say when someone starts a meditation practice, like you mentioned, very short, start very small, make it very easy, do it at the same time every day. So for someone, if that's in, yep. If that's in the morning for 60 seconds in this one spot, do that every day, continue and even use an app that's going to help you do it or get into a community that already does it. You might not even know that there are local community groups around you that are like mindfulness centers. Look those up if you want to join in a group or if you want to start kind of by yourself, look up an app, regardless of what it is, same time, same place, and have an intention behind it. And I guess that would be the best way to go about that meditation piece and understand that like, hey, you're going to encounter and over challenges that you have. And then for the mindfulness practice, as far as living from a state of being mindful and having a mindful lifestyle, my favorite thing would just be use glimpse practices And that's based on the idea of short times, many times, having very brief moments, many times as you can throughout the day of being aware. And those will get longer and those will be, you know, stabilized and sustained. But that's just some of the glimpse practices can be thoughts that you say uh, in your head or out loud or just different pieces of like a mindset. So in Zen, a popular one could be like, what is this or who am I? And that's a, those are uh, called Cohen's, but that's like a glimpse practice that you can say to yourself that might bring you into the current moment. In some parts of like Tibetan Buddhism, they'll use a bell where they'll like ring, I, I think it's called a bell or some type of, you know, they're like those little like bowls where they hit on the side. And yep. so it's like, as soon as you hear that sound, well, that cues you to rest in awareness is what they'll say. You'll rest in awareness in the current moment, or you can use rain, right? So it's just the idea of, can you say something, listen to something, or do something that just provides you a moment of pause to pay attention to the moment. That's a great way to build a mindfulness pra- or a, uh, yeah, a mindfulness lifestyle where you're trying to act and live from a state of mindful, open awareness. And that's kind of like an easy way to develop, I think, those two different pieces. Amazing. 
Yeah. And with the community side, I mean, you know, a project we're both involved with with TFC is Beam Tribe. And Beam, if you're a member of Beam Tribe, you get access to all the content. But we've also started a Slack platform and it's slowly building because we want to, I mean, I got Felix sort of welcoming into people individually onto Slack so to give them a more personalized experience instead of just sending out a mass email. But I think one of the channels we should create in there is mindfulness. And, you know, the whole concept with Beam Tribe is a bunch of people want to make progress on their health journey. It's easier to do that with the support of a community. Um, and if we can create conversations around mindfulness, you know, I'm, I'm going to post this podcast on the mindfulness channel there. Um, it's really a about finding other people that are more advanced than you at your level and also less advanced than you and trying to create an environment where people are kind of encouraging and inspiring each other, but also sharing their stories to help give people a, a you know, maybe a broader template to think of things uh, within. So excited for that. And I think mantras, like really simple things. It's funny, Ruth, um, <clears throat> one of the foot nerds, posted a couple of videos and it was called cosmic kids. And it was like a, a YouTube channel dedicated to meditation for kids. And I, I literally, I was like, I wonder what's in these videos. I literally went on a tear of watching these videos. <laughs> and I was like, these are not for children. These are for adults because yeah. adults need to know this in these terms. And one of the things, you know, it's like stuck in my brain um, was she talked about, you know, some people will use uh, the metaphor of the sky the sky is the mind um, and then clouds are thoughts. Well, she used this uh, metaphor of the pond. So you have, you have a pond and you have a bunch of different fish and you have the anger fish, you have the sad fish, you have the lonely fish and all the fish are different emotions. And, you know, one thing she says is be the pond, right? Don't be, if you find yourself being the fish, just be the pond. And she was like, she's British. So all I could, all that was going through my head a, a couple of days after it was like, be the pond. The, and I was like, this is like a recording in my brain, but it was so, it was very helpful to kind of bring me back. And I think having those metaphors, you know, be this guy, don't be in the river, be the pond, whatever it is. I think those are powerful things. And, and it's almost like I'm sort of trying to train my brain to think that when I start to feel like I'm becoming sucked in by an emotion. And I think mm -hmm. um, you literally develop well, wire, wiring sequences in your brain to go there instead of going to reacting, you kind of go to a, a little subtle reminder um, mm -hmm. that allows you to just think differently. So I think it's very powerful. Um, and then different kinds of mindfulness practices. So there, you know, we talked about how you can have a central practice, which I think uh, meditation as a central uh, mindfulness practice, I think is very powerful. It's like a, it's like a training ground to kind of develop skills that you can then apply through, uh, through a mindful lifestyle. There's glimpses. Um, you said Dzogchen, which I think was, uh, what, what was it again? Start again or? Dzogchen uh, is kind of like that idea of, it's based on the difference between sudden and gradual uh, like realization. So it's like a sudden uh, realization that you can have to, to be mindful, which is just uh, one of the practices that they'll do is you know, you're sitting, you're meditating, and then it's send awareness out into the room, have it look back, where was it, where did it come from? Ooh. And it's just that initial feeling of like that, that turning around of awareness. And then it, you can kind of realize like, oh, well, it, it, it didn't really come from anywhere. It's just this like open feeling that's just kind of like there. And it's meant to be very short, right? Like it's not supposed to be a send it out, turn it around, and then like really sit and think about it. It's just that initial brief moment right away of like, what is it when there's that immediate turnaround of awareness? Where did it come from? And cool. so that's like, that, that's uh, the more in-depth practices, I wouldn't know uh, in that group because that's very much like a, like initially practices in Joke Chen, it's like, do not share this. This should not be shared with people that don't have like very formal meditation training right. built up. 
because it's kind of like you can go to the peak of the mountain, you can view this amazing, wonderful, beautiful thing. But if you, it's kind of like, if you don't have the foundation, well, then you won't understand and appreciate it. And it's kind of lost. And right. so that's why parts of Dzogchen, I guess, are still kind of uh, very specific around, no, it has to be very formal. Right. And then another thing you had written on your outline was just like walking in nature. Like that is yeah. a, that is a very potent, like I've been, you know, TFC is this new little chunk of land that we're going to sort of craft into a, a natural experience center. And every Saturday I go there for six hours, no phone. And I just literally walk around or, or cut down brush or carve out paths. And like, that is a serious mindfulness practice. If you're doing mm -hmm. it with really the intention of just pay attention, observe and be there then, right. Be really pre radically present. Um, and something like that might be more tangible to people to go on like a weekend hike and just practice mindfulness on that hike, right? Don't be in your phone. Don't be in your brain. Just be external and just observe things and be mindful of all the awesome stuff around you that you oftentimes might not observe, might not even recognize, right? Um, I, I, I find myself doing these weird stare downs with uh, chipmunks now. And I just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm so enthused and curious about like, I wonder what that little thing is thinking of me. Like I'm probably yeah. so weird to it. And it's just funny how you can get immersed into, into things you never even used to pay attention to and find them so incredibly interesting now. Um, and so, you know, that's another outlet. And uh, yeah, man, thank you for putting together an amazing outline of, of topics. Thank you for taking the time today. Is there anything you want to um, chat about in closing before we kind of let people know where to find, uh, where to connect with you if they want to? And uh, yeah, any, any last words? Yeah, I guess the final quick thing I'll say is if you are skeptical and you don't want to try or you haven't had success with things like more of a formal practice, the one that I would really recommend that had a drastic change on how I viewed mindfulness is called The Headless Way by Douglas Harding. And uh, Richard Lang is someone that spoke with Sam Harris and talks about that. And it's, it's very practical because it's like you're sitting there, you're looking at something, you're recognizing its shape, its color, what it's like to highlight that object with your awareness. You end up pointing at it. You then start to work your way to where you're pointing at yourself, like your foot, your knee, and then you end up pointing at your head. And it's kind of like the point of being like, well, it might feel like you have a head, but you can't see your head. And so they kind of talk about the space <laughs> of like, you know, what it feels like to be you from this point right here, like looking out, if we can say that, like looking out is that's you from zero distance. But then someone else looking at you is still you, but just from like maybe a few meters away. And mm -hmm. then essentially it's just like, the idea of you, there is no center, right? The larger, the wider you go into the onion, you get into a person, a community, a city, a country, the earth, the solar system. And then the more micro you go, you get into cells, atoms, uh, quarks, like all those different pieces, but that's all you, right? Like you, just because something might not physically be you doesn't mean it isn't affecting you and is part of you right so that's a really cool way through actual like legitimate like you're doing these things like pointing and looking and he has other ones too that that branch out and continue but that's a really cool way to really drastically have a different view on approaching mindfulness and i find it it's one that works out really well especially for people that have an issue one closing their eyes when they meditate or two anytime their eyes are open they're just like i just i'm, I'm having a difficulty doing this that's a really good one Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Out of curiosity, do you, how do you use the waking up app still? Like, do you still use it and how do you use it? And, um, cause I, 
Yeah. Like I don't find I use the meditations anymore. Intermittently I do, but the conversations are just like, if I listen to a conversation every two months, I'm happy to pay the membership and support Sam for doing awesome stuff and continue yeah. developing it because, you know, listening to one, I would listen to one of those, you know, a couple of those really amazing, you know, podcasts or conversations and find it worth 20 bucks a month because it's just such, even if I listen to the same one multiple times spaced apart, I take something different from it every time. Like the Mingy Rinpoche yeah. one, I think I could listen to that 20 times and still, <laughs> still burst out laughing when he says, blah, 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 yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just so like the way he talks is so fluid and seamless. And yeah. also just like, so simple. The crazy thing is it's so simple. He's just, you know, when he talks about the best meditation is non-meditation or when he's like, you want me to teach you how to meditate? Okay, step one, you already did it or something like that. It was yeah. just like really potent. And then uh, I think humor is a powerful thing to get to make you relate to it. And it just takes down the barriers or the intimidation of learning something from someone really advanced when they're just like joking and don't take themselves too seriously. And I feel like when we are sharing things in workshops and seminars, I think humor has always you know, subconsciously been a part of what I, what I've always tried to do when I teach. And mm -hmm. I think we should emphasize that with, uh, you know, our, our crew of experienced leaders. It's just like, be, like, don't take yourself too seriously because realistically health should be fun. It shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be too serious. You know, adults are too serious too often. Let's, let's be a little bit more childlike and make fun of ourselves a bit because the world is crazy. You just got to appreciate the ride. Yeah, I totally agree. Cool, brother. Well, where can people, if you know, like you're, you're a wealth of information when it comes to the mind, and hopefully we can slowly extract this more and more on future episodes. But if people want to find out more um, about Mitch or kind of projects that you're working on, I know that you have a uh, lifestyle rebirth program coming up. So mm -hmm. tell the people where to find more about you and what you have going on right now. Yeah. So if they want to find me on Instagram, it's just uh, at sweet period underscore period Mitch. That's my Instagram handle. Uh, my website where if they want to like look at different things as far as like what I offer, like that eight week program, which starts off on, uh, on November one, they can head over to the sweet life dot Academy. That's like my website, my like blogs and everything are on there, all the different stuff. Um, and then actually later this month, I think I want to say it's on one of the Mondays, which is either like the 12th or, or the 13th, I'll be launching, um, a new, uh, program to kind of kickstart into, my eight week lifestyle program on November one, which is I'm going to call the rewild tribe. And it's just a monthly subscription where I do a zoom call. They'll have a Facebook page. Um, and it's just kind of like stuff like with the tribe where we talk about food, nutrition. Um, we talk about like movement, mindfulness, all that different stuff. Cool. Um, and it's just like a community to continue to like be a part of and, and share and, and support one another. But yeah, so mainly Instagram handle my, uh, my website and, um, yeah. And I'm always, I'm, I'm pretty active on those. I'll, I'll respond usually pretty quickly if someone has like a question or something like that, but yeah. Cool. I'm sure people appreciate you being available and thanks for doing awesome stuff. Thanks for taking the time. I definitely learn. I always learn a lot when we talk about, you know, deeper conversations related to the mind and, uh, and I definitely appreciate that. And I appreciate all the content you've been pumping out for, um, you know, TFC app and the Sapien Code with Footner program. So thank you for being you being awesome. Uh, for everyone listening, thanks for listening uh, and, uh, you know, donating us your attention for a period of time. We hope that, that stuff benefited you and makes you maybe a little bit more confident to venture into the, the sometimes muddy, but also hopefully a little bit more clear now waters of mindfulness and meditation. Um, and we'll catch you next week.